When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. After a five-year wait, unless you count the excellent Black Panther soundtrack, Kendrick Lamar has returned with a new album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. This one is controversial. It's gotten, really for the first time in his career, some mixed reviews. I think wherever you end up landing on it, it's undeniably a fascinatingly honest and deliberately messy album. And of course, since it's Kendrick, it's quite often phenomenal on a musical level. Either way, I wanted to dig as deeply as possible into this new album, and to do so, I have, for his second time on this podcast, the very talented journalist and author Marcus J. Moore, who happens to be Kendrick Lamar's biographer. He wrote The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America, and you can go back and listen to our episode where we talked about that book, which you should also be sure to pick up. As it turns out, this new one is not Marcus's favorite Kendrick album. But nevertheless, he had a ton of expert insight. So obviously you wrote what I would say is the definitive book about Kendrick, and you gave us a great sense of where he was. Upon your first few listens, here we are a few days after the album came out, what do you think we're learning about where he is now versus where he was then? I feel like in listening to this record, we're hearing a person who is finally taking stock of the trauma that he dealt with growing up. Whereas he did that on previous records. So obviously he did that on Good Kid, Mad City and To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn and, you know, everything. He's talking about his past. But I feel like this is the first time where he's trying to actually get some help as a result of his past, you know? And I think he even says it up front, so I can't even take credit for some deep insight. I know Whitney who's a narrator, his his partner, Whitney Alford, you know, she's on there saying like, you really need to get some therapy. And even he has a lyric where he says like, oh yeah, I have a therapist now, which honestly in and of itself is an act of revolution for black men in particular, because, mm-hmm. you know, we we're always taught to just kind of tough it out, um, especially on the song Father Time, where he talks about, yeah, you know, even if I I wouldn't call foul on the basketball court, I wouldn't, you know, if I got a scraped knee, I'm just going to jump up and act like everything is cool. My child that grew accustomed, jumping up when I scraped my knee, because if I cried about it, he surely tell me not to be weak. Daddy issues hit my emotions, never express Because that's what we're taught. We're not, we're taught to not have any weakness at all, or you can't at least show any weakness. So... I feel like more than other records to answer Mm. your question, this is his first time actually reconciling that, hey, you know, I have some serious stuff that I grew up with. And yeah, it's one thing to talk about it musically, but it's another thing. I need to talk about this on a weekly or monthly basis with a professional. So I feel like that's where he's at now as he's he's, um, sort of looking to the past and looking to all of that stuff that he's gone through. And he's trying to figure a way out of it to break that generational trauma for his son and daughter. It feels like the first time to me that he's presenting himself as a little bit of a mess. He's not telling us what's up. He's telling us he has no idea anymore to a certain extent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain freedom in that, you know, like, because 
again, just kind of going back to the whole, you know, black men in therapy, like we're also taught to, you got to be perfect. You always got to be on, you got to grind. And quite, quite frankly, we grind ourselves to death, you know? And I feel like, like what you just said, this is the first time he's showing that, yeah, I'm a mess and that's okay. Cause you know, that makes it a real life record, you know, because same thing in real life, we don't have everything together. Certain aspects of our lives may be perfect while something else has fallen by the wayside. And I feel like this record encapsulates that where, you know, he's talking about generational trauma. Like I said, he's talking about therapy, getting the therapies, he's talking about transgressions, sex addiction and all of that. He's putting it all out there and it's it's pretty brave that he's doing that because I can't think of another rapper who would be that, another mainstream rapper who would be that open about stuff that he's going through. In the nicest way, to a certain extent, some of the stuff on this record makes me think about that he was kind of, I now know he was dodging some of my questions when I interviewed him in 2016, because I, I asked him, you know, wow, you know, what, like, what, what are your vices, man? Like, you seem, you come off as you know, almost like this monk, but no one's really that, not really. He gave the job interview answer, which is like, you know, my vice is working too hard, <laughs> which is like, I really believed him at the time, but his, his vice is appears to have been something like a sex addiction, yeah. which is a shocking, like you said, it's, you know, f- from someone who revealed a lot of it in his life, but not that kind of thing. It's part of this deconstruction of the way that people saw him. Part of what makes this album fascinating is it's, 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 he's tearing down an idol, and that idol is himself to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. He's tearing down, I feel like he's trying to sort of reposition himself he's he's you know like we because we all look at him as uh as like this guy this you know this this symbol of culture and i'm guilty of that too obviously because the book you know the subtitle is how kendrick lamar ignited the soul of black america so we all look at him as his paragon of virtue and he's letting us know that well no you know i have issues like everybody else and once i relay these issues once i talk about this addiction and this cheating and you know, these slurs that I used to use as it relates to my family members. Are you going to tear me down too? You know, because his overarching theme on a new record is definitely cancel culture. You know, he's railing against cancel culture. I wouldn't put it past him to say, okay, you know, I don't like cancel culture because I'm coming out with a record that may get me canceled. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but that's where my thought kept going back to and listening to the record over the weekend. And we'll get to some of the the more controversial moments on the record. On the song Worldwide Stepper, first of all, he admits to writer's block, which he'd also, another thing I'd asked him about and said it never happens. (laughs) That's where he starts to get really explicit about, about his sex life. He says he has a lust addiction. It seems like the song's going one way. And then when he gets to, like, the first time I fucked a white bitch... Excuse me, listeners, but that's what he said. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it goes into like this stream of consciousness, a confessional almost about about his experiences along that line. That's when you really start to know this is a very different record. The first time I fucked a white bitch, I was 16 at the Palisades, fumbling my grades. I traveled with the team, the Apache life. Centennial was like women's baker scream. And what was your reaction, especially someone who knows him so well when you got to that part for the first time? Yeah, when I first got to that part, it was honestly it wasn't super surprising to me at least, because again, like, I also understand that I'm probably in a different position because I had listened to so much Kendrick and I've been talking to people about him and I've been researching and writing about him for the past two some odd years, three years. 
that I that it wasn't shocking. Like it's shocking. Well, I take that back. As shocking as some of the revelations were, they weren't surprising because you kind of caught wind of it talking to mm. people. The reason why I didn't really lean super heavily on it in the biography is because, one, it was about how the music fits within the context of culture. But at the same time, you kind of heard these rumblings, but they were they were just rumblings, you know. So there was it wasn't anything that would get confirmed or anything. And I wouldn't want to jump out there with some inaccurate information. But 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 it was basically like people were like, he's not a saint. He's getting up to some stuff on the road. That kind of thing. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, more, more, more so like, yeah, we should definitely celebrate the era from Section 80 to uh, damn. But at the same time, he's just a dude. Like a lot of people say that, like, yeah, this is worth it. This is worth the book. But he's just a dude. And then they would just kind of break down musically how he's just a dude. So like you, I kind of got some stuff in like some answers in like different shades. But no one ever came out and said, no, this guy is this, this, this on the road. Because, you know, it just wasn't about that. He starts to hint at the can- at what he calls the, the cancel culture stuff, even right from the beginning of the record. And again, it's unclear because he, he was the last person who was in danger of being canceled. But he, he had previously spoken. He, he didn't like that. Spotify was talking about removing R. Kelly from playlists and stuff like that. That was the the first time we kind of heard stuff from him along those lines, to my knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, he gets a little dangerous with the cancel culture conversation, if I'm being honest. Like, that was was the first time. Well, not the first time. That's when I realized that, like, hey, Kendrick is not above criticism here. And some of the people, even in the Heart Part 5 video that he put out before the, the album... These are people who it's like, okay, I, I see what you're saying. It's like you're trying to encourage free thought and all of that. But at the same time, some of the people that you're trumpeting maybe should not get that second chance right away that, you know, that you think. I said I do this for my culture to let y'all know what a nigga look like in a bulletproof rover. In my mama's sofa was a doodle pop, a hair trick. Like OJ was in there, but I don't think he's necessarily calling for a, a second chance for OJ, but I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's kind of weird because it's like, you know, he had OJ in there. He had Kanye in there. He had, who was it? Jesse Smollett. He had Will Smith. So I feel like the common thread in that video were once beloved black male figures who made a very public mistake and now all oh, it's canceling. So in one on one hand, I totally agree with this whole one strike you're out policy. Definitely could use some revisions. But, you know, like we were just alluding to, and I can't put those words in his mouth, but like caping for R. Kelly is something different. I feel like that might be a bridge too far for folks. I'm not saying that's that's what he was doing, but just to even evoke He even said on the song, We Cry Together, that, oh, yeah, you know, I know you still listen to R. Kelly. He spoke to some some very real things, because even when you go overseas, people still play R. Kelly. Like when you go to the continent, yeah, people still play it. So he's saying things that, you know, it's like, hey, you know, still play the records. But this whole notion of cancel culture may or may not be a fraud. I think that's what he was getting to. So. I think a lot of people gravitated towards Die Hard as a really listenable, possible single type song. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that one? Do you love me? Do you trust me? Can I trust you? Don't judge me. I'm a die hard. It gets ugly. Too passionate. Gets ugly. I thought it reminded me of These Walls. These Walls can talk. They tell me to go deep. Yelling at me continuously. I can see your defense mechanism is my decision. Knock these walls down. That's my. You know, it reminded me of a song like, okay, he's talking about pill popping and like really, really serious stuff, but it's 
framed within the context of a of a dance song. You know, same thing with these walls where he's talking about, you know, jail culture and all kinds of stuff. I feel like that was a very smart record in the context of the new one. The kind of production that Kendrick used obviously transformed entirely between To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn. And here it's kind of transformed again. The beat on the opening track, I mean, I almost hate to say it, but it reminded me of Radiohead more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously it all comes back to jazz for me, right? But that was the first thing I thought of when I heard it, because it reminded me of what Terrace Martin and Robert Glasper told me during the reporting of the book, where it's like, no, Kendrick is a total jazz musician. And so when I was listening to United and Grief, that was the one that jumped out at me, too, because you have the different you have the shape shifting melody. You know, where it starts out one way, then it transitions to something else and it goes back. It's like, well, that's total jazz changes. That's Blue Note. That's Carnegie Hall, you know. So, but yeah, you're right. It definitely has some Radiohead elements, too, which also made me wonder if you you remember a couple of years ago, it was reported that, oh, you know, Kendrick Snick's album is going to be a rock record. That's right. You know. So it made me wonder, I was like, well, is that a holdover from that project or somebody maybe caught wind of that file and was like, no, it's a rock album. Or maybe he has like a whole record of that type of music, which is interesting because he sounded good over it. I mean, the the jazz is increasingly just sort of subtle and buried. It's not as it's not nearly as overt as it once was. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I would say, you know, that's the only song on the new one where I was like, okay, this is like a jazz inflected or jazz centered song. And again, that's just according to my ear, because I always hear that type of stuff. But everything else sounded I would I feel like this one's even more contemporary than damn, because with damn, even though that was more, I guess, quote unquote, contemporary as as compared to to Pimper Butterfly, I feel like this one is more of Kendrick trying to flex himself as like, hey, I'm not just a boom bap, old school, you know, Jay Dilla inspired type dude. I like club beats too. I like, you know, trunk rattling bass. I like all that good stuff. So I feel like he loaded up the album with that stuff on purpose as a way to show, in addition to the conceptual theme on the record that, hey, you know, you think you know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something totally different sonically. We Cry Together, some people love it. Some people some people think it's one of the best songs on the album. Some people hate it. It's set up as this dialogue, this relationship dialogue of a really, really, really raw one. It could almost be in a musical or something. What do you make of that one? Sit around and deny shit. Fuck around on a side bitch. Then come fucking up my well, shit. Fucking up your shit. You must be bleeding in some more shit. Bitch, I don't know. <laughs> I don't like it. I didn't like that song at all. I'm sorry. It's like, it did, to me, it felt like Malcolm and Marie in a song. And it felt like Jody and Yvette from Baby, the movie Baby Boy arguing. Like, it felt like that. And I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get the focus. I totally understand why he did that, because passionate relationships and intimacy can take you there. You know what I mean? Where To the point where you just feel like you just want to scream on each other. So I get it. I just don't think it landed well for me personally. And at the same time, you know, maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I feel like anytime Kendrick sort of delves into like love songs and and songs about women, it gets a little dicey because it just isn't, to me at least, it just doesn't sound natural. And neither did this song. This song didn't really, it's totally a real argument and a real conversation that certain couples have. 
but I just don't think it landed well within the scope of the record because if I recall, the record is kind of, you know, it's going this way, it's smoothish. You know, you get where he's coming from. And then you have this sort of six minute argument dropped right in the middle, the scream fest dropped right in the middle, which ends in sex, essentially. And it's just like, all right, that's that's cool and all, but I don't know if it really, I don't know if it landed. It landed a little awkwardly to my ear. My thing is, it sounded real throwbacky to me. It sounded like something you hear on like a 90s rap record. And that was my first thought when I heard it. And I was like, oh, that alone might kind of throw people off. It sounded old fashioned to the point where you know, quite frankly, as much as I still love me some 90s hip hop, I still play Ghostface Iron Man and Cuban Links and all that. But at the same time, you kind of have to evolve in your thinking. And I, I feel like it evokes a nostalgia that maybe we don't need to be going back to. I also think that that speaks to sort of the, the cancel culture that he talks about on the record, where it's like, I feel like at certain points, Kendrick comes off as a dude who wants to get back to the good old days where you can say whatever without checks and balances but at the same time no maybe there's a reason why you can't say certain things and why you can't argue that way on record because it wasn't right then but the industry wasn't as sophisticated and it's definitely not right now 30 years later in hip-hop anything you want to say about purple hearts telekinesis i'm pure fine these these speeches while i'm crying i clean the feet of the sweet jesus dreams visions get blurry yeah that one you know what that one didn't really stand out to me over the main thing that stood out to me in talking about Ghostface is like as much as I love Ghostface he, he, I don't know if he fit on that track mm. <laughs> I know I sound like Dr. No right now but it's just like you know that's I don't know if that one really really worked out for me personally so I think that also speaks to sort of the unevenness of the record on purpose where he just wants to throw it all out there little editing this is just, it's one big old therapy session and that's cool. But that one in particular, along with, you know, We Cry Together and another song at the end that I'm sure we'll talk about. I, I encourage the fact that the brother's trying to encourage free thinking, but, you know, I, I also kind of caution him against going too far because, I don't know, it, it does, just because he said it and he's built up such good critical will over the years doesn't mean that folks are just going to be here for it automatically. Count Me Out has kind of a new message for him. What do you make of that one? Breakthrough. One of these last I'm going to make these right with the wrong side. I feel like, you know, when I, when I heard that song and then at the top it says Breakthrough, I feel like that was the first time ever that he is eschewing fame, you know, because like on previous records, you could tell like, okay, he wants to, He's dealing with fame in the sense that, OK, all of a sudden I came out with this record and I'm famous overnight, essentially. I mean, that's the theory, right? Obviously, it wasn't overnight, but the theory is, oh, Good Kid, Mad City comes out. Now he's famous. And now he's trying to get away from all that because he sees the isolation that they can create, you know, like, OK, I'm famous, but now I can't do anything. Now I can't go outside. Now I can't live life. And uh, quite honestly, he's done it all. You know, it, it's kind of easy to forget that Kendrick has been around for like 10 plus years. You know, he's a veteran now. I still think of him as this young kid, this good kid or whatever. And now all of a sudden he's, you know, a legend, you know? So I think that's for the first time to my ear, that's me hearing him saying like, you know what, fame is cool, but I think I'm gonna just chill. I don't really need to. I've done all the magazines. I've done all this stuff. I've had books written about me. I'm good. I'm gonna just stay in here and 
stay inside and just, you know, get this therapy together, raise my kids and I'm good to go. The irony is there's levels on which this would be controversial. There's levels on which this is sort of his Drake album. <laughs> uh oh. In in the sense that it's the first time where it's like you're kind of not trapped within his psyche, but kind of. The same way that, you know, the word that people use about Drake, whether you love him or hate him, is solipsistic, where mm. it's all about what's happening with Drake. And this might be the first album where it's more like that with Kendrick, which is interesting. I totally agree with that because he even uh, references it on the album where he's like, I choose me, you know. And because if you think about his previous records before Damn, yeah, it was sort of outward facing. You know, he's on Good Kid, Mad City. He's presenting the world. He's presenting Compton to the world, his version of Compton to the world so everybody can see what it's about. So Bimper Butterfly was a total social justice record it has all right on it you know all of these outward facing songs and i feel like for the first time like you said this is him saying hey here's what's going on with me i'm going to be more open about what what's happening because like you said earlier like he was kind of giving the pc answers oh i never have writer's block and oh everything is fine i just work too hard and we're finally finding out, like, okay, I need to actually tell my story. And in and, and that way, it's sort of a reset to 2010 when he came out, when he came out with the um, Kendrick Lamar EP, when he stops recording under K-Dot and starts recording under Kendrick Lamar. And the reason why he did that is because he was like, hey, I need to tell my story. I need to talk about what's going on with me. And he hadn't done that in a while. And now he has a lot more to talk about because we're talking a decade later. He's a parent has his own companies now. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner. This is probably going to get nominated for, uh, you know, a, a few Grammys. He's done it all. What's the next challenge? What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. One of my favorite tracks in the album, though, I saw someone say they didn't like it, which is confusing. I, I really like the song Crown, which is super melodic. And he's always been, I think, one of the most underrated things he does is his melodies, just because he's so good at rapping. People downplay the melodies, but it's part of his musicality. And it sums up some of the album and even just that chorus, which is just a, a great chorus. Any genre would kill for that chorus, the I Can't Please Everybody chorus which starts to feel real desperate by the end of the song. It's, it, it gets to that the sort of psychological intensity of this album. It does, it does. And I feel like that's also another one where, you know, we're talking about this whole notion of Kendrick being for everybody else. And the one thing I caught from this song, along with like Mother Eyes Sober is another one where Kendrick is dealing with some very serious sort of like a gifted child syndrome, you know, where he feels like he has to be there for everybody at the same time. But who's going to be there for him? He even references that on Damn, you know, nobody's praying for me. And it's the same thing on this where it's like, look, I've, I've given everybody else everything. Now what is some anybody going to give anything back to me? And I feel like Crown is a good example of him saying like, yo, I'm going to show you that I'm more Kodak Black than, you know, Black Power, for better or for worse. So, yeah, Kodak Black. 
<laughs> I'm actually a fan of Kodak Black's music, but you know, he's been accused of some heavy shit. He's, he's been accused of serious sex crimes and Kendrick really lifted him up on this album. Like put him several prominent placements on this album. Then, like you said, lyrically compares himself to Kodak Black. And it's, I think everyone's kind of figuring out how to wrap their heads around that. I ain't taking shit back, like it when they pro black, but I'm more Kodak Black. Tell me where the money at, hey, where the homies at, universal call out. I, can I think it's also indirectly, that's another way of him railing against cancel culture. Because, again, like you said at the top here, uh, you know, with his uh, introduction, yeah, he's been accused of some very heavy stuff. And even a lot of friends of mine who are rap heads who cover music, they act like dude is not there. You know, he could come out with the greatest record ever and people be like, yeah, all right, whatever. And they just won't even pay it any attention. So I feel like if there's any sort of uh, underlying current to the record, to the whole cancel culture argument that he's trying to lament, it's that. It's like, okay, well, here's a guy who actually was canceled, who you guys are trying to cancel. He's going to be the narrator of my record. And, you know, I, I feel like on one end, there's a certain freedom in that, you know, saying like, hey, I'm going to essentially do what I want and I'm going to sort of move the needle in that way. But at the same time, I also wonder how many fans he's going to lose as a result. But I think in the grander scheme, I don't feel like He's going to lose a whole heck of a lot. But I can also see certain people being like, OK, this dude is feeling himself a lot, you know, between that, between the whole cancel culture arguments and, and you know, the, the messiness of record and all this. This dude is just like not really for the culture, whatever that means. Right. You know, he's not really for us anymore, which doesn't really mean anything. But I can see people being a little bristled by it right now. But I also see ultimately this record being like his Bitches Brew record. You know what I'm saying? Like, so when Miles came out with Bitches Brew, everybody, well, not everybody, but critics didn't like it. But then they came back to it years later and was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, same thing like Stevie, Secret Life of Plants. I can't conceive the nucleus of all you know what I'm saying? Like we come back to it years later and it's like, oh, wow, that was really a dope joint. I think of all the records that Kendrick has come out with so far, I see this one being like that for the yeah. very reasons we're talking about. I wonder if he realized he was making his secret life of plants, you know? I don't, yeah, I don't, no. know, if he, I don't know if he quite... I guess with the Kodak Black thing is, I just, I guess I wonder how many women he talked to about that decision. You know what I mean? It, like, yeah. I wonder if he was seeing it from that angle and that's where it makes me uncomfortable, I guess, where I think about that and what it says to victims and that kind of thing. You know, I'll be interested to see whether Kendrick does any interviews for this album because it might be one of those albums like Lemonade where you don't really want to get the questions that you raised. In other words, lyrically, you've opened the door to the sex addiction or in the case of Beyonce, the infidelity of your husband, and you never want to have to address that shit in interviews. <laughs> like, why would you want to? It's well, you know, and I'm going to be, I guess I'm going to be a little catty a little bit, but I don't care. Yeah. I think if he does do interviews, he's not going to talk to no serious journalists. I feel like, you know, if, if he talks to somebody, it's going to be, you know, sort of a pre-rolled edition. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, okay, I'm talking to this person who I'm comfortable with. I know what kind of questions I'm going to get. Or I'm going to know the questions ahead of time. He's not going to sit and... And then, on Savior, back to back to the theme, nobody's your savior. Talking about future, talking about J. Cole, talking about himself. 
suggests he may have dodged the vaccine. That's another, like, which was honestly, I was hoping he wouldn't say any shit like that, and then he kind of did, and that kind of bummed me out. But maybe I misunderstood it. But that seemed to be what he he implied. That he, yeah. Again, he's just not going to say everything that everyone wants him to say. That's part of what this record is. He's going to hit a lot of points that they just are what they are. He is who he is. He wants to be a, a much more real. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, everything is going to be in shades. You know, he does a really good job of, you know, just sort of talking about Compton and talking about how his, like, his surroundings influenced him. So he's good at talking about the past. But stuff like that, yeah, no, he's not going to talk about. And then when he name-checked Kyrie, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, Kyrie Irving. I was like, (laughs) "Uh uh-oh, okay, so here we go, you know. But but that whole, even that whole notion is kind of weird. But it's just like, if you've been going to public school in the United States over the past 30 years, you've been vaccinated a million times. Like, and now all of a sudden, this is the breaking point. So that's kind of weird for me. And it's always like, you know, I'm not, I don't know if it's Kendrick, because like you said, he sort of talks in these sort of, you know, double language or what have you. But like, it's a lot of old rappers who that's their breaking point. Like, no, I, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, well, okay, that's kind of a weird stance, but whatever. You know, I just kind of put it out of my mind. Like you said, it's double talk because he kind of makes fun of that he saw a Christian say the vaccine was the mark of the beast, but then he caught COVID and prayed to Pfizer for relief. On the other hand, he's making fun of the anti-vaxxer and then he flips around, makes it sound like he might be one too. So actually, it feels a little weak to want to have, to have it both ways. Like, just what are, what are you trying to say? Just... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what are you trying to say? But also with him, he's gonna, he's, you know, he's gonna do that on purpose. You know, he probably did that on purpose where it's like, right. hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the question out there and then not answer the question. And to just see where it goes, see where the conversation goes. Or just yeah. the fact that you're talking about it is a win win. And then speaking of which, we get to the track for some people seems to have killed the album altogether. And just did not get a good reception, just did not overall. It's called Anti-Diaries, and it's about a member of his family who transitioned and identifies as male. And in the process, as a lot of people pointed out, Kendrick unfortunately dead names him. He also uses an anti-gay slur multiple times. The intention of the song, right, is total tolerance. I mean, to be clear, the message of the song is meant to be totally compassionate and tolerant. Monty is a man now. I think I'm old enough to understand now. But in 2022, a lot of listeners, including trans listeners, gay listeners, they just have zero patience for that way of expressing your tolerance and love now, but with all these slurs and and other language that they just found super hurtful. And that's, it's kind of a mess. I I think that might be one of the reasons why he started talking about preemptively about cancel culture, maybe. Or... Maybe truly he thought he was just sending a really sweet message out to the world and didn't see that people would take it this way. Because again, sometimes people who are kind of in their own zone for five years and aren't super online, I don't know, and I'll ask you, whether he knew this would be controversial or he genuinely thought it would be received in the spirit with which he thought he was giving it, which was a message of tolerance. I feel like it's the latter. I feel like it's a lot. I think you hit all the points. I feel like, you know, just based on the people who I talked to who said like, no, this dude, it's not an act. He's super insular. You know, I don't know what his phone situation is now, but I know at one point he didn't even have a phone, you know, stuff like that. So I feel like when I heard that song, he was trying to be, you know, he was trying to start a conversation. He was trying to show tolerance, but quite honestly, and I think he even said that 
he says this at the end of the song where he says, you know, he's talking and I guess it was with his auntie who said like, okay, you can say the word if you let a white person say the N word to you, you know, that kind of thing. So that that's where my mind went automatically because I was just like, okay, I just like how white people can't use the N word under any circumstance because it's not their word. Same thing with that with that F word. You can't say it. It's not your word to use and you shouldn't take creative liberties with it for the sake of art. There's another way you could have portrayed that. Again, I always hesitate to say how an artist needs to do a thing as an artist myself. You know, I always hesitate with that. But just to me personally, as a listener, I'm like, okay, I would never use that word because it's just not my word, you know? So why did you need to say it? First of all, you said it several times. You know, that was my thing. It's like, you couldn't just say it once. You said it how many times? I didn't even count it up, but it was multiple times. And I'm like, all right, look, at what point are you just becoming a shock jock? You know, and that's kind of how he came off to me. He came off as a, as a shock jock trying to incite some controversy. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but that's definitely how he sounded. Well, and then that's when you remember that, you know, he's not joking about loving Eminem. That's his friend, and that's one of his favorite rappers. And this might be, besides Flo, the most direct Eminem influence we've seen so far. And that hasn't worked out for M in recent years either. Not not at all. That's the thing. Uh, it lands differently. It lands differently. Like, you could be the same dude, same lyrics, same beats, everything. But time evolves. People evolve. And whether you like it or not, you have to evolve with the thought you know I'm, that's not to say you have to totally subscribe to groupthink or anything like that but you have to change your thinking and i felt that 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 song in particular was disappointing within the scope of here you are as a black man getting therapy trying to change generational trauma for your kids and i think that's sort of where i parted ways with that track and I think the end that you were talking about, he was trying to say that he realized at the end that he was wrong for saying it because he would not let that white girl say that. So I think in the end, he was realizing that's what he's trying to portray. But then he keeps saying it. <laughs> so it. It's really having, again, having his cake and eating it too kind of thing. What helps make it problematic on a lot of levels is, is just that he didn't seem to know how people would respond and, and how things are here in the world now. If you talk to Eminem, Eminem is, was the most blinkered person on earth, unfortunately. Doesn't talk to anyone besides the five people he knows and doesn't go on the internet and has no idea what's going on. And you don't think of Kendrick like that, but that's the problem about becoming rich and famous. And, and when you get a family is you can get real cloistered and, and miss some currents in the culture and stuff like that. You don't want to be Kendrick Lamar and be out of touch, I would say. That feels like a bad thing. And that's, I guess, what one of the things, besides it genuinely offending people and hurting people's feelings, that's, I think, on an artistic level, what's a little bit disturbing is you don't want to be, for the first time in your career, you want to be 35 and suddenly it's like, oh, wait, you're just out of touch because that's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think you're spot on. You're spot on with that because it's like, look, I understand that Kendrick is, is a famous person. He can't just go outside and live life. You know, he can't he can't walk around and be inspired by environment and all of that stuff. But I would truly hope that he would know as an adult in 2022 against this same cancel culture that you don't like, that you want to lament and rail against, that you can't. There's a way you have to say you know, there's a way you, you have to say things. And I feel like that was the struggle with that. Because, yeah, look, I, I get what he was saying. Like, as a kid, we didn't know any better. We were saying the word. Okay, cool. You were a kid. You didn't know any better. 
But now you're in your mid-30s and you still don't seem to know any better. That was the problem. And that's not to say he has Kendrick has to be super woke dude all the time and he has to, you know, always hold the flag up for the culture because he's done that. And I wouldn't expect him to be the same guy he was on September Butterfly because that was 2015. You know, that was a long time ago. But I would hope that you would be aware enough to know or if you have I would hope that you would that he would have people around him aware enough to know hey man like when they heard that like yo you know maybe maybe we need to take a couple of those off or do all of them off or something like let's let's change this song in a way because it just doesn't land well and then mother i sober obviously really a lot going on there and nothing to be talked about lightly it's about both his own personal trauma and then just just black people's trauma across the board and then getting into really black women specifically i'm sensitive i feel everything i feel everybody one man standing on two words heal everybody transformation then reciprocal incident with it with a cousin and again, it's one of those things where he does have this particular elliptical style where you're not quite sure what he's saying. Because what he's saying is that his family thought he was molested by a cousin, but he said he wasn't. But to me, I feel like the song hints that maybe he was, but he repressed it. But I can't be sure of that. I don't know. I'm not sure where you land on that. Yeah, that one was a little dicey for me, too, because what I what I heard personally when I heard the song was... There was a family member who I guess they would assume that people would assume the worst. They assumed that that family member would do something like that. And when Kendrick was pressed on, hey, did that family member do that? And Kendrick said no. And they didn't believe him because the other family member was somebody who would do something like that. That's kind of how it hit my ear where it's like, okay, we're going to we're going to. This seems like something that this person would do. So we know that this person did it, even though Kendrick said said no. You know, I, I don't know, because I think it goes back to what you were saying with, you know, just kind of him giving his answers in shades where, you know, he may be talking about himself. He may be talking in another character, but I didn't get a sense he was talking in like a character on on this record. But I think that's what a told the whole like golden child slash gifted child syndrome comes in where he's always going to be propped up as the quote unquote good kid who is destined to do all these gifted and talented things. And so we're naturally going to believe him. We're naturally going to assume the best of Kendrick and not so much of this other family member who perhaps did the thing that we assume he did. He digs back into this issue of a possible sort of sex addiction which he seems to connect to that incident with the cousin, sort of some really intense confessional shit about his fiance, like breaking down and asking him, if it, does he have an addiction? And then that's when it, it goes back to the therapy. And it is that weird, the interesting thing about this record that I think is really interesting artistically, where there's certain issues that keep circling again and again, kind of like a therapy session, where you keep going back to this, but then in more detail. And this is the most the the most detailed kind of look at, at his psyche, which he then, which like he said, he then broadened, talk, talk, you know, they raped our mothers, they raped, then they raped our sisters, which again, I mean, I have to say then, I think people have said that it makes the inclusion of Kodak Black, again, there's a little friction and uncomfortableness there. 
like parts of the album rubbing against each other in, in weird ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, yeah, the whole therapy of it is definitely what I came back to because therapy is totally like that where, you know, those first few conversations, it's a dance, you know, it's a dance between you and the therapist where the therapist is trying to bring out some things that maybe you probably haven't even thought of for the past 20, 30 years. So, you know, you sort of talk in these overarching shades. And then as you keep talking about the same topics over and over again, you start to remember different things. You start to remember names and instances and stuff like that. And then that's when stuff starts to click for you. You start to get these aha moments like, oh, right, that's why I'm this way. That's why I operate that way. And that's how the record is set up for me personally, where it's just like he comes off as a guy like, hey, you know, I know I need to I need to get into some therapy. Here's me getting into it and I'm going to get deeper into it and I'm going to spiral downward to the point where we're going to reach this conclusion and I'll have a breakthrough. And so I think it was very smartly placed, that song in particular, where it's near the end, where the breakthrough happens, you know, where like, all right. I've talked about this thing over and over and here's everything. Here's the manifesto. And, you know, the fact that his partner and his daughter resurface at the end and say, like, you know, you broke generational chains or curses or something. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. So I thought that that was smartly done. You know, the fact that he's talking about stuff that, quite honestly, probably has never talked about and. Kendrick is doing that with this album in a, in a smart way, in that way, where he's just peeling off these different uncomfortable things as a way to reach his own catharsis. A part that a lot of people pointed to when he goes, I, I know the secrets every other rapper sexually abused. I see him daily bearing the pain in chains and tattoos. So listen close before you start to pass judgment on how we move. That's interesting to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and, that, and that's right. So that's why, again, going back to what I was saying not long ago, I always hesitate to to talk about a rapper personally, you know, because it's like you don't know what anybody's going through. So I always try to keep it to the music as much as possible unless they tell me a bunch of stuff for this article. Then, yes, then it's fair game. But at the same time, like, you know, everybody's going through something. So I hesitate to sit back and, and, and judge. So that line resonated with me, too. Mirror is sort of like the coda. I think it really ends with the prior track. The pressure's taking over me, it's beginning to loom. Better if I spare your feelings and tell you the truth. So it, it's, I see, I don't know if it's, it, it's been getting, and that's where he says, I choose me, you know, which is interesting. Another record it reminds me of, it reminds me of the record you were pointing to. It also reminds me of when the Beatles broke up and uh, John Lennon made uh, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band and he's literally screaming about his mother. He went through primal scream therapy and he's, letting all this uncomfortable shit out all at once. And it reminds me of that. It's almost like Kendrick broke up with himself. You know, he broke up with the, the idolized version of himself and he's, he's letting all this out. And it's almost like the start of a whole nother. It really does make you wonder what he'll be doing next. I hope it's not another five years to find out though. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and it's, that's the thing with him. You never know, right? It could be five years. It could be 10. It could be next month. You just, you just never know. And I think that that's the cool part. You know, during this conversation, we've been talking about nostalgia and throwing back to different eras and things like that. And the thing I always keep coming back to is like, you know, a lot is going to be made about, oh, it's been five years. 
But back in the day, that was like the average time frame. You know, people were waiting three and four years before they came out with something else because you had to go live some life. So I don't know. I, I hesitate to to look to what he's going to do next, because I feel like he's given us a record that we're going to be uh, picking apart and dissecting for a long time and, you know, love it, hate it or think it's mid or whatever. But it's definitely worth the conversation and worth several conversations, not unlike damn or to pamper butterfly it's just a it's a different section of the curriculum but it's still equally viable education overall would you say that you are are you are you thinking it's one of your least favorite kendrick albums or is it more complicated than that if i'm being honest yeah this isn't the one that i will go back to if i'm being super honest with myself like and that's okay you know because art is supposed to be it's supposed to challenge. It's supposed to be different. But I think that says more about me than that says about the record itself. And I think that it's the same with everybody where it's like, look, it has been five years and everybody has changed. We've all changed. So I can only speak for myself where when I say that, like, currently my ear is attuned to, you know, Eddie Gale records and like Mary Baraka's records. So that's kind of where my ear is at the moment. Right. That's not to say that later this summer or the fall, I'm not going to come back to it and say like, oh, man, that record is crazy. I don't if I'm being honest again, I don't foresee that because I feel like it's just way too uneven for me personally, like Mm. where it's like, okay, it's all there, but it could have been it could have been presented a little differently. And I know that's a weird thing to say, you know, we're sitting here criticizing art, but just that's just just, you know, when people have been asking me all weekend how I feel about it, that's the Kendrick biographer. That's what I've been telling people. Like, it's a it's a fine record. It's cool. But I just don't know if I would go to it before another one of his projects. It is interesting that, you know, it's like he, here in the the waning days of a pandemic that's been going on forever. And everyone seems to be going a little where everyone's at the edge of their mental health. It's interesting that this is the record he puts out. It does that at least certainly seems to be on the zeitgeist. Yeah, that could be it. That could be it. But um, also, if that's the case, then maybe he waited a little too long because, yeah, the pandemic is still very much a thing. But a record like this, I feel like would have had even more impact in, say, 2020 or 2021, you know, something like that. And that's not that's not to rush the brother. But at the same time, if we're talking about marketing and timing and you know, deepest impact and all that stuff. In the summer, going into the summer of 22, when people are thinking about going outside, maybe wasn't the best way to do that, but he had his reasons. He had his reasons. I guess even if you're Kendrick, it's possible to wait one year too long. But the other thing is, he's one of the greats, cross-genre, one of the greats, and every great artist has, like you were saying, has albums that are considered troublesome points in the career or ones that are get reevaluated re- later but it's just part of what's going to be a long career, you know, and, and we'll see how people feel about this in the future, this, this album. Off the top of my head, I, I equate this record to something like something like Common's Electric Circus, right? So it comes right after like Water for Chocolate and everybody loved that record, me included. I loved Electric Circus, but I also understood people who were like, no, this is too out of space for me. I don't like it. But now you're finding that a lot of people are coming back and they're like, wait a minute, that record was kind of dope. So I kind of see that this is his, for the lack of a better comparison, 
this is Kendrick's electric circus record where it's like, all right, it's a little weird. It's a little, a little too raw and it's troublesome, but maybe with time people will go back and they'll reconsider it and they'll think about it in a different way that they haven't had a time. They haven't had time to fully digest what they're feeling yet, but give it another 10, 20 years, maybe not even that long. And you'll have a different opinion about it. So that's today's episode. Thanks so much to Marcus J. Moore for joining me. Please check out his book, The Butterfly Effect. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. We are, of course, a podcast, and we're also on Sirius XM's volume channel 106. In the meantime, download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That is seriously always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.